Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers, episode 31, The Odd Boy. I'm Scatty, we have with us Brooke and Matt as always. Hello. Hi. <laughs> what was that? It was well played. Hi. <laughs> you work us up and up and up, and then on the last episode of A Clash of Kings, that's right, people, we're on the last episode of Clash of Kings, Matt just brings the, hi. Hey. Just mute your mic. <laughs> okay. Uh, we will be giving you this week the final five <laughs> chapters, not Cylons, but the final five chapters of A Clash of Kings. That's Sans 8, Theon 6, Tyrion 15, John 8, and Bran 7. That's 65 to 69, according to Wiki of Ice and Fire. And uh, it is the final, final episode of Clash of Kings uh, before our special episode next week. We'll get a little bit more to that in a minute. So, uh, as always, the Davos Fingers podcast is spoiler-free for those reading along at our pace. Uh, until the end of the podcast, we always do a special segment called Davos After Dark, and uh, we'll spoil the crap out of everything that you hold dear. So jump off if you're not interested. Uh, we will warn you, we've got uh, talented Matt's musical jingle, Davos After Dark. And uh, that'll tell you when we're going to it, so just jump off then. Uh, also, as always, if you want to contact us, suggestions, uh, questions, uh, just want to give us a compliment and make our day, uh, you can reach out to us at uh, davosfingers.com, uh, email at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com, Twitter at davosfingers, or find us and like us on Facebook. Uh, yeah, we did it, guys. This is the last episode of Clash of Kings. Thanks for reading along and listening it. with us. We've got all sorts of different kinds of people listening, people that are doing rereads, people that are just listening instead of doing a reread, people that are re- are, re- are reading for the first time, just kind of a, a great mix, and it's great to hear from all of you, and uh, thanks Brooke's for the support. parents who just want to hear her voice. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> My fantasy football commissioner who uh, watched the show only, but has recently started listening. Thanks, Jason. Oh. If, if you make it this far. He said, we sounded professional. What? Uh, I don't know. Wow, don't... is he trying to suck up to you? What do you owe him? Well, he's the commissioner. I don't know why he'd suck up to me. I got to suck up to him. But Jeez. uh way, way to convert him. But uh, maybe he owes. Me. I married him, so maybe he owes me or something. You married him? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I'm, a, I, I am a wedding officiant. Oh, oh. <laughs> you, you officiated at his wedding. Yeah, <laughs> like I know you, you, you married him. Do need a green? Do needed a green card, and I hooked him up. Uh, <laughs> like all right, yeah. Okay. Uh, I know you've got a <laughs> wife, but that, that's cool. That's cool. We live in Utah, Matt. This is that. This is territory we've covered before. Oh, I know. <laughs> All right, uh, guys, there are still a few days left to get your questions in. Uh, as we mentioned last week, we're planning a Q&A segment uh, for our next episode. It's a bonus, awesome end of, end of Clash of Kings episode. you got to, uh, you know, finish a cock with a flourish. <laughs> and, and so we'll be getting questions. all the way. Yep. <laughs> Just be getting questions from you guys, uh, answer them for one segment. The other segment will be uh, some trivia and stuff, so uh, it'll be kind of two segments. But, guys, get them in. We have a lot of great stuff so far. we got stuff coming in from yeah. the Twitter and the Facebook and, and uh, I think a couple emails and stuff. But uh, I'm still waiting for the you are stuck on a desert isle with one a Song of Ice and Fire character, who do you choose question. Somebody send that in for crying out loud. I want to do it. Wouldn't that be I fun? 
I'd have to choose between like I'm not going to give that my answer here. Don't worry. Yeah. I'd have to choose between like the really resourceful keep me alive versus the super hot one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's a chance I could do both. Options and paths for that conversation are many, and it'd be like a choose your own adventure of awesomeness. Uh, all right. Really good. Uh, hashtag fingers questions on those. Hashtag fingers questions. Uh, the email works. Twitter, Raven, Direwolf, uh, Twilight Bark, until the stroke of midnight on Friday. So we actually... Yeah, we, we actually... We're net. We actually could take them... I mean, we're, we're recording on September 18th. We could take them up to our recording uh, that night. So, you know, send them in. 9.30 Mountain Time. We'll screen them. So if you're asking questions like, Scott, what is your sexual orientation? Like, we're probably going to take that out. But, you know... Just ask, ask away. Uh, uh, sexual orientation is, it's complicated. But. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think we kind of have a little bit better idea into it now. After the marriage discussion? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and last reminder, so this is our second to last episode before we take a, a short hiatus um, before to, to gear up for a storm of swords, ASOS. The reread's going to resume. As soon as our hiatus is over, November 23rd, uh, I think is when the, the next episode will come out. Uh, until that time, we'll still be around on Twitter and, and uh, emails if you send those in and Facebook and everything like that. So we're still around. We're not uh, dying or anything. But, uh, yeah. Uh, also, in the meantime, the most exciting part of that hiatus for me uh, is that we'll get to hear Matt's uh, musical stylings uh, in our first, his first, album release. It'll be uh, the jingles, and uh, I hear he's got a few few little surprises up his sleeve as well. But, uh, yeah, super excited for that. That'll that'll come out sometime in the October-November window, so look for that. Yep. And, I'm guessing early October, if I had to guess, but don't hold me to that. Cool. Uh, I will hold you to it. Uh, I think that's it for uh, news items. You guys got anything to add? Oh! Oh, just a quick shout out to Twitter follower uh, Jesse uh, at Papdown. He just found out. Well, he found out a while ago that his uh, he's having a baby. So shout out to that guy. His first little member of his mini Kalisar is a uh, little dragon baby is on its way. So just wanted to give him a shout. His uh, wife got a little upset that he yes. tweeted to that to us. Yes, <laughs> because was- he tweeted us the ultrasound picture. Yes. And, he's, and his and his wife, he said his wife was like, you went on a podcast's Twitter account and posted a picture of my uterus. Never Don't okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Mrs. Great. Jesse, uh, we're sorry, but congratulations. We're very happy for you. This is the same, and, uh, this is the same stuff. Mrs. Jesse whose honeymoon we ruined, isn't it? It is. All yes. Right, yeah. Or may, appara- was- apparently we didn't ruin it too much because... <laughs> Here we are. Yeah, uh, if anything, we helped the situation. Enriched it. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Oh, Our mar- their marriage is what it is because of Davos fingers. Wow. That's all I got. Uh okay. Uh, jumping into the episode. Uh I think it's time Matt your chapter with Sansa, correct? Yes, it is. It's Brooke's episode. <clears throat> anything to add Brooke before we jump in? No, let's go. Sansa. Don't know when a prince will come, but surely he's a gonna come for Sansa Stark. Here be looking like a Tully and a daddy killed a wolfie Sansa Stark. 
So Sansa squeezes through a sea of jewels, furs, and bright fabrics to make her way to the front of the throne room, throne room, and King's Landing, where she can have prime seating at the Battle of the Blackwater Stir Party, a ceremony presided over by the king, and that will provide or that will prove to be equal parts Academy Awards, Judge Judy, and toddlers and tiaras. The fiesta begins when Tywin Lannister enters the throne room and rides down the length of the hall on his war horse, <laughs> dressed to the nines, uh, and takes his place next to Joffrey as his new hand. Hmm, where's Tyrion? And also as the savior of the city. Yes, that's apparently a thing. It's called the Jesus Award. And don't worry, the horse drops a huge load of poopsies, as my two-year-old potty training son calls it, right at the base of the Iron Throne. Uh, House Tyrell is next in line to be honored, and honored they are. Holy crap. Sir Loras Tyrell, he who formerly served Renly in his Kingsguard, asks now for the honor of serving in Joffrey's Kingsguard, which is granted to him. And remember, there's two vacancies now in the Kingsguard with the Hound out of the picture and Ser Mandon apparently gone as well. Mace Tyrell, Loras's dad and head of the Tyrell family, requests and is granted a spot on the small council. But it's not until Garland Tyrell, Mace's second son and Loras's big brother, speaks up that Sansa starts to get a little excited. And we soon see why. Garland asks that his sister Marjorie, formerly married to Renly, now be given to marry Joffrey. Hmm. But it can't, right? So in a charade that had all the believability of Kevin Costner playing a British Prince of Thieves. Yeah, but what about our kin? Shutters taking all they got, too. And by God, we take it back. Joffrey <laughs> claims that well, he not could not marry I know he did. That's why I said it. Uh, Joffrey claims that he cannot marry Marjorie, for he is sworn to Sansa. Cersei then steps in to recite her line, saying, It wouldn't be proper for Joffrey to marry the daughter and sister of the Stark traitors. Then the High Septons also studied his lines and proclaims that, because of the Stark crimes against the crown, the pact made by Eddard and Triple B is null and void. So at this, with Sansa waiting with bated breath, Joffrey, to the delight of all in attendance, including Sansa, agrees to marry Marjorie. Yay! Sansa's future for now uh, is brighter, but still remains a bit vague. Uh, Cersei having briefed her before the ceremony started, telling her that for now, she would remain in King's Landing as a ward <clears throat> hostage. So after this, other heroes of the Blackwater are summoned forth to be honored and receive rewards. Men of renown, such as Kevin Lannister and Randall Tarley, are honored. And even those of lesser birth who distinguish themselves get some love. From a free rider to a man-at-arms who defended his fallen lord against a dozen men to a young squire. No mention, though, of Podrick, who as a squire also happened to kick some booty that day. Oh, there's captains of ships and even Lancel Lannister, him of the famous Cersei Slap, is honored and granted the castle and all lands of House Derry. And we should also point out that 600 new knights were knighted that day. 600! And the three remaining and present members of the Kingsguard had to do every last one of them right then and there while everybody watched. That's right, 200 knights apiece for these Kingsguard guys. 
and talk about sitting through the longest graduation ceremony of your life. Holy cow. But perhaps one of the biggest surprises of the night goes to none other than Peter Baelish. Remember him? Turns out he was apparently with the Tyrells all along and was instrumental in getting them to join up with the Lannisters. He's granted Hall. remember where ha- Arya happens to be, Lord Paramount of the Trident, a proclamation that bugs Sansa a little bit since her mom's house, House Tully, currently bears that title. So it's now as everyone is getting tired and cranky that they decide to bring in all the highborn captives from the battle to be judged. And Joffrey is surprisingly fair, saying that any who beg forgiveness and promise to serve loyally from now on can go on in peace. They can have all their lands, get all their stuff back, everything. And many do just that, departing in peace. But one knight in particular channels his inner rage against the machine and goes ballistic in a suicide move, calling Joff, among other things, a black worm eating the heart of the realm. Joffrey is pissed off and commands that the knight be killed immediately. And it's rather comical that while doing so, he cuts himself on the Iron Throne and begins crying for his mom in front of everybody. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) So the knight is, of course, killed, and Joffrey's ushered from the throne room to go suck his thumb. And Tywin, in all his majesty, steps up to finish the day's work, seating himself on the steps of the Iron Throne instead of the chair itself. But finally the day ends and Sansa returns to her chambers, overjoyed at the prospect of new life without Joffrey. It's when she goes to visit the Godwood that she meets her killjoy in the form of Ser Dantos, who reminds her that she's not free of Joffrey yet, and that as king, Joffrey can pretty much do whatever he wants with her. But in other news, he's finally set a date for her escape, the night of Joffrey's wedding. Everybody's going to be celebrating, and it'll hardly be noticed if she slips out. So the chapter closes a little queerly with Dantos giving Sansa a gift, a hairnet of fine-spun silver with small black amethysts, purportedly from a shy, set throughout. Uh, She remarks that it's lovely, and Dantos confides to her that it's more than lovely, it's magic, it's justice, It's vengeance for her father, and in short, it's home. Hmm. So a little hairnet there. Uh, Chapter ends. Chewie, we're home. No? Oh, sorry. (laughs) I'm just just really excited. Anytime I hear the word home, it just comes back to me. (laughs) You just imagine old, wrinkly Harrison Ford. Shivers. Looking great in his Han Solo uniform. How great is that night? Ooh. Oh my god. Oh. <laughs> the Rage Against the Machine night? Yeah, the Fantastic. possibly affluent bastard. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Who what? knows no. who that guy is? It's interesting that Gurm doesn't tell us. It's 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 really weird, isn't it? I mean, he's so careful he with giving names to everybody. Yes, yeah. exactly. And this guy's some random knight. But it'd be interesting to know who he is because I found this very odd for a guy to believe in Stannis the new gods, like, this strongly. Like, like uh-huh. he knows this is his death. What is he... I don't know. I, it's just not very believable yeah, to me for some to reason. What, yeah. I was trying to decide what's better. Like, do you... It's really cool and heroic of us to think of him dying that way and going out in this blaze of glory, but why not live to fight another day, man? You know? Well, say what you gotta say to get out of there. You're never gonna yeah. have that opportunity again to address 
the entire court. I guess that's true. And 600 new knights and to influence their opinions on their worm king. That's pretty good. He's but, just got infinitely bigger balls than I do. Oh, yeah. He, uh, passionate dude. Yep, indeed. So I, I know someone else who might have pulled that stunt. Oh. No, you don't. Who would that be, Bricky? No, you don't. <laughs> because I think I'm thinking of someone, too. Yeah. Someone who's a little scantankerous. You guys... <laughs> This is BS. I don't, I don't understand where I get this reputation from. I am a very calm, good-natured, <laughs> considered, uh, careful in my response. Are you talking about Measured. Me? No. I'm talking about the scad. Right here. This guy. You guys! Ugh. Okay, I don't have to say a word. Yeah, what else you got, buddy? <laughs> I just want our listeners to know this is all just a character that I play. Well, it's like it's like what we talked about last time, where he'll just go and he'll passionate, passionate, indignant, all this stuff, and then it's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, he'll reach his threshold. Yeah, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I am even keeled. <laughs> Enough about Scott. You know who else is even keeled? Tywin frickin' Lannister. Holy cow. Yeah. I, I loved some of the stuff he did in this chapter. Especially how Tywin just knows the importance of, like, a good symbol. You know? Like, what Looking do you mean? good. Like, like oh. when he sat at the foot... Like, when he sat at the foot of the stairs instead of sitting on the Iron Throne itself, I thought that was super uh, insightful of him to do that. Like, he knows that he's running the kingdom, and everybody in that throne room knows he's running the kingdom. But by him doing that, he's still showing that uh, he's not trying to undermine Joffrey, that he, uh, he's, he's still putting on that show of humility that makes people go, that's the type of guy I want to follow. Look at him. We know he's running the kingdom, and he still doesn't sit on the Iron Throne. That's how cool he is. Yeah, Tywin. Uh, I don't know. My favorite symbol yeah. of the chapter was the horse's homage. Yeah. Be- because here what you have is you have a situation with all these hundreds of nobles dressed up in their finery. Uh, we, we've talked about the, my, uh, it's not, it's not mine. I don't remember somewhere else for sure, but, uh, I think I've said it before. Winning cures everything. Like this city was just a wreck coming into this battle, right? Just a wreck. The people couldn't eat. The lords were uptight. Everybody was afraid. It was just a disaster, right? And they win this battle. Now everybody's dressed up. They're smiling. They're having a good time. Everybody's happy. And, uh, and then you, you get reminded by the horse. Mm-hmm. There's shit going on in this city. There is some bad shit there. going on in this city. And, uh, yeah, it was very symbolic that he did that. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that Tywin can't control. Mm-hmm. He should have yeah. corked that horse before he got <laughs> on it. But he can't think of everything. But- I, I kind of think Tywin <laughs> didn't care. This yeah. is going to be a little punny, but he didn't give a crap. Like, yeah. Clean up poop. I don't care. Oh, and like, 
like uh, Joffrey when with the Rage Against the Machine night. He's all screaming, and Joffrey's like, "Kill him!" and like yelling and screaming. But what was it that actually got uh, Marin Trant to go kill him? Yeah, <laughs> Tywin, Tywin just sitting there calmly, and he lifts hand. one of his fingers. Yeah, and Marin's like, "All right." That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was I've tried doing that before, but let's no you have, let's have the presence and the commanding nature of Tywin Lannister. Nobody actually. No one notices you lifting your finger. Yeah, no. Sometimes you like what? Sometimes when I come to automatic doors with like the detectors and stuff, I wave my fingers like a Jedi to open the door, like a Jedi, to pretend know. that I have the power that Tywin has. These aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> Sir, I have to ask you to <laughs> Jedi yourself out of the store. <laughs> so interesting that until this book, we really haven't met very many Tyrells. But here in this chapter, they just made a huge power play, like reminiscent of uh, the Lannisters after Triple B died, right? Mm-hmm. Like now you've got, in one fell stroke, you've got a guy on the Kingsguard, you've got a guy on the small council, and you've got the next queen mm-hmm. all in one move. That's amazing to me. And and it's a little surprising that uh, and maybe Tywin is concerned about it and he's just hiding it because that's his stoic nature, but it's kind of weird that Tywin's allowing this to happen. The Tyrells come in so blatantly and make this big, huge power play. What do you guys think of that? Well, it's the agreement he had to make to get their help. It wasn't like they decided right. this after the battle. This is what Peter brokered, right? So, but I'm surprised that uh, it was allowed to happen. But I guess you got you to do what you got to do to win. But. Yeah, it's interesting because they've always kind of just been this vague, prominent, successful family in the background. Now they're obviously going to be very front and center for the next mm-hmm. book and have a big influence over the court. And it's kind of exciting, too. Like a fresh blood, some, yeah, new blood yeah. in there. Yeah, I agree with that. It's funny that these yeah. this army that uh, when in Catelyn's chapter, the Knights of Summer, right? We had this whole argument about the Knights of Summer and their lack of experience. They're getting it crushed. Well, all they did was come win the whole fucking war in one swoop. <laughs> these Knights of Summer. So, mm. uh, but yeah, I, I think I think I think the Tyrells, uh, to your point, Brooke, they played it smarter than any house. They just sat in their in their uh, farm, fruit tree rich land, and waited it out. Took the slow mm-hmm. took the slow road with their army. They had a they hit a bump in the road with Renly, right? But in the end, you know, just by waiting it out a little bit, they ended up with tons of control. No dead family members, right? Like <laughs> they're in good shape. Yeah, yeah, what I would have given to be a fly on the wall when Littlefinger laid out his master plan. Yeah, right. And you're you're forcing the Lannisters into a compromise, which they can't love. And it, you also remember when the, when Tyrion sent Peter, it was kind of like, "Look, do what you got to do. Just we make it happen. Make it happen." Yeah. Like even even his own terms, which are pretty rich. I mean, he basically gets this for a few hours of negotiation. Um, you know, he didn't fight in the battle, but he gets uh, so richly rewarded. Even when he was negotiating with Tyrion, he's like. I'll ask for something in the end. And they're like, okay, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Guy gets results. But to your point, Matt, 
Tywin's done it before, where he's just like, I don't really care what you engineered, but uh, this is how it is now. So he, yeah, I think he's still pretty confident in the fact that he's running the kingdom still. Yeah, mind he is, and he can still control things. Yeah. So maybe that's what made it okay for him. Yeah, uh, I've got a new favorite house, House Foot. <laughs> I totally forgot about House Foot, but my favorite hockey player ever, Adam Foot. Is a house foot. So now I've got a new favorite house. That's all I have to say about that. Next subject. <laughs> um, can we talk a little bit about Sansa keeping it together when she should have been like punching air? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like squealing yeah. with the light. Yeah. <laughs> Fangirling. Tonight's the Taylor Swift concert here in Salt Lake City. And yeah, imagine Sansa just acting like that. Uh, I can't imagine how I missed it. Yeah, why aren't you there, Scott? We were going to take our, our daughter. We were going to take Leia to it. She's six, and she loves Taylor Swift. But they're like nosebleeds were like 120 bucks. Holy. Sorry, kid. Here's a CD. No kidding. Uh, or, I'm sorry. We don't have CDs now. A folder of MP3s. It's impressive that Taylor Swift concerts are so entertaining because she seems like such an awkward woman. <laughs> Anyways, let's not I, talk I, about I Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. Yeah. Okay. She gets plenty of coverage on less worthy stations Everything. than ours. Anyways, she, anything fine, else whatever. in this chapter? Uh, oh, you we oh. were talking about Sansa. Yeah, we were talking about Sansa holding it together. Yeah, she's holding it together pretty well. Uh, you know, playing, 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 pretend. But she's been doing that for God knows how many. What a book and a half, pretending that she's right. okay. Uh, you know, pretending she's feeling something she isn't, so she's gotten some practice at it. But but Dantos is right; she shouldn't be too excited. Uh, <laughs> it's just mm. gonna just gonna rape her if he wants to, and and then she'll have bastards instead of trueborn children. And she wouldn't, you know, she won't have to deal with everyday. You, I mean, yeah, it sounds terrible, that's... but you could argue it's still better than marrying him. Um, you know, cause she doesn't have to deal with the everyday trauma of court and mm-hmm. pretending and lying to lying to everyone, but. She could be in for. She could still be in for a really rough ride if if Dantos yeah. doesn't come through. Yeah, I feel like Dantos could have softened that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he didn't yeah, try like, very hard. Kind of excited, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone's super excited to communicate a bit of rape. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I suppose mm. you're right. Yeah, so uh, we're ready to move oh. on here. Well, I just want to point s- out real quick. I briefly said it in the summary. Tyrion. Nary a mention in this whole chapter. Yes. We will discover it's... what happens to we Tyrion. And I just want yeah. to say that Asai Ashai has to be like the coolest one. Every time that anybody mentions Ashai, it's like some form of mysticism, special creepy magicness. And the I'm eyebrows ex- raise a little bit. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I want to know more. May, may I subscribe to your fan club and or newsletter? Ashai? You may receive email notifications. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, a little Tyrion. Or it's not. No, wait. Theon. A little Tyrion? I see what you did there. Uh, Thanks. Uh, time for some Theon. His daddy lost the war, so he's living in the north. Now he's almost stood between being a Kraken and a wolf. It's Theon. Great joy. With a smile so slow, put an arrow through your eye. It's Theon. Make a lady scream and a wonder be a king. Yes, Theon, great joy. 
Loyalty is big, but there's something there that rigs as the own great joy. Maester Lewin serves Winterfell. Dutifully, even if its current resident is uh, a little obstinate, beyond hope, annoying, whatever, he serves dutifully. Today, he counsels Theon Greyjoy to yield, that no one can help him in time, and the castle, Winterfell, will fall with Theon's numbers being so few. Instead, Theon demands that Lewin send more birds for help, and that his men be gathered in the yard. He tells the Ironborn that the situation is bleak, with uh, Sir Roderick's army coming, coming back and asks for volunteers to stay and fight. And honestly, if it weren't for Wex, it appears they may have all declined. But little Wex Pike steps forward, and shamed by the boys' courage, they kind of all fall in line. Save Asha's men, the ones that Asha left behind, who never move. They're all going to head out and try to escape. Uh, So 17 in all, against an estimated thousand or more, not to mention those inside the walls that everyone reckons will turn on them as soon as the fighting starts. Uh... Black Lauren and Theon both have plans to turn the tide of the battle. Black Lauren's idea is a little bit more simplistic and uh, and uh, simple. Uh, involves a singular stand on a drawbridge, and that he'll just take all comers. It's a suicide, essentially. Uh, but Theon's involves a noose. The army, that's Roderick's, asks for parley, parley. Theon agrees, but has his noose readied. He rides out to meet Sir Roderick Cassell, and can feel everyone looking at him with daggers in their eyes. They exchange terms which are wholly unsatisfactory to either side, aren't they? Always. I don't think we've ever read uh, anyone delivering any sort of terms that would ever be accepted by any sane person. Uh, And these are no exception. Uh, Cassell threatens Theon one last time for good measure, to which Theon raises his fist in the air, and little Beth Cassell is trotted out and placed in the noose. Little Beth Cassell is Roderick's last remaining family member. Uh, His line would die with her. So while Roderick notes this is craven, uh, despicable even, Theon uh, compares it to his time with the Starks, which I will read. The noose I wore was not made of hemp and rope, that's true enough, but I felt it all the same, and it chafed Sir Roderick. It chafed me raw. He never quite realized that until now, but as the words came spilling out, he saw the truth of them. So essentially comparing his uh, being a ward with the Starks to a noose around a little girl's neck. I'll take over reactions for 500, Alex. <laughs> Roderick begins to uh, bargains to try to save Beth, but Theon intimates that she will die at sunset and more every dawn and dusk until the army in front of him is dispersed. So as he waits for the army to make a choice, Theon finds himself in the yard, loosing arrow after arrow as he considers his position. All he's really done is put a deadline on the action. If he kills her, they attack. If he doesn't, then he's toothless. There's, there's just really no winning here, no easy way out, no shortcut home, uh, until Lewin offers him one, the Night's Watch. Theon immediately warms the idea, actually. The food, honor, maybe he could command his ship, there's fine hunting beyond the wall, uh, might even become Lord Commander, there's even women on the side, uh, potentially, some, uh, some Molestown actionages. But he is rescued by this choice, uh, with more news. There's apparently fighting going on outside. Reek has returned and routed the other Northmen, taking them completely by surprise. After the battle, Theon welcomes them in, but is surprised that Reek is leading them, to which we learn he isn't actually Reek. The man Theon knew as Reek is actually the bastard of Bolton, Ramsay, a bastard son of uh, of Roose Bolton. The real Reek was actually killed by 
people looking for Ramsey, and Ramsey's been pretending to be Reek this whole time. Diabolical. Anyway, Ramsey demands his payment, which the reader may remember was Pala, Pala, the uh, the Kennelmaster's Kennel daughter. daughter. Yeah, but instead, Ramsey demands Kyra, Theon's own bedwarmer, slap in the face. So Theon can't take this. He makes a power play. Ramsey breaks his jaw, and the Dreadfort men murder the Ironborn uh, quickly and efficiently. And it can be assumed, I think, that Ramsey and his Dreadfort men now hold Winterfell. Yay? I don't know. Uh, Scurry? Yeah. Uh, and that's how the chapter ends. Some regular Scooby-Doo action. Pulls off the mask. <laughs> True! Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the mask, that armor sounds sweet. Did you guys read it? Oh, yeah. It's, it looks uh, like a flayed man. It looks like a flayed man, like a man's oh. face. Point, you know, like most... Most stuff is, you know, it's got some paint on it or whatever, but it's just metal. It's clearly a helm. This looks like a man's face. It's almost like, Matt, actually, they have those hockey masks, don't they? They're like disfigured faces and stuff, or like, don't they have those for like goalies and stuff? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this yeah, one sounds like awesome. That. A man's face, skinless and bloody, mouth open in a silent scream of anguish is how they describe it. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's fashion. Yeah. That's damn. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna scare your enemies in battle go all the way just have like a grinning wolf or a hound's head go all the way skinned dude yeah (laughs) cheap out Uh, ah pretty awesome those dreadfort guys they know what they're doing so uh theon and the knights theon and the knights watch interesting that would be fun that was a little glimmer of hope. I yeah. don't know you guys that I was reading that I was like, oh, exciting. Yeah. Like, it was one of those where you're like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> that would be kind of cool to see. But my fav- yeah. my favorite part of the whole recognition scene in his inner monologue while he's considering it is how he's immediately thinking about breaking a vow he hasn't even sworn yet when he's talking <laughs> about the women he could fuck. There's chicks. There's chicks. No, Molestown chicks. You're not so. supposed to do that, Theon. Remember? Oh well, vows aren't important. He was he was like talking himself into it so well that even I was like, even I who know how who knows how bad it is on the wall. I was like, yeah, it might not be so bad if they had internet. <laughs> well, it makes you it makes you really think about how the Night's Watch really gets their people. I mean. The fact that we're all responding to this and be like, yeah, that's a good choice for him. It's really, unless you're committed of a crime and sent there forcefully, it's really for people that are kind of out of options, right? Mm. And Yeah, it's indicative of how dire his situation yeah, really is. That we're right. like, yeah, good idea. Yeah, <laughs> like he's screwed. Yeah. yeah. Still, still can't uh, take full accountability for it. He still has the, the line, what choice have they left me? Yeah. Yeah, he's such a waste of space, and the whole stunt with little Beth Cassell, or yeah, yeah, just horrific. That cemented a good portion of hatred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good idea, kinda. It's, I mean, well, as hands go, he doesn't have a whole lot else going. Well, he he well he even talked to he even said it himself, I think to himself that Roderick. 
would have to still attack. Yeah. He would have to sacrifice his only daughter or granddaughter or whatever. Daughter? He would still... <laughs> I'm on it, guys. <laughs> Last episode. He would still have to sacrifice his daughter. But Theon pulled that stunt anyways. Just disgusting. Yeah, he's... Roderick's in a, in a tough spot, too. He, he knows what his duty is, what he has to do. His, um, he's, he has a line in there. My own grief is that I must wait a while to hang you. He's just full of fucking rage at this guy right now. I think he feels guilty for what's happened to Brandon Ricken. And even, even his love for his daughter can't, it can't change his actions. Right? What's gotta happen. Yeah, yeah. He's, he knows what he has to do, period. Uh yeah, and then to see him get cut down that quickly, it shows you just like how, uh, I don't know if we're vicious or efficient or whatever these Dreadfort men are, but it talks about their tactics and how they would just, they were, they said, Theon said he thought that Roderick's men probably still outnumbered the Dreadfort men, but they'd just ride through and they'd wheel around and come back and ride through and it was like this, I imagine like kind of figure eight thing going where they just ride through mm. chopping people, turn around and Ah, uh, and it shows that you know Roderick's loyal, but he said he could never get his men formed up to defend themselves. Maybe he wasn't. I get that there's the element of surprise, but maybe you know while Roderick was super loyal, he maybe wasn't the most qualified to be leading all these men. Maybe I'm being a little unfair. Maybe the element of surprise really was that effective. But I th- uh, well, I, I think um, he didn't have much of a chance. He was probably the first person killed, so. He didn't have Perhaps. a whole lot well, of chance. And they do say that uh, <laughs> he, he rides up and shakes his hand and cuts it off, cuts, cuts off his arm. Yeah. So he didn't have a chance to organize anybody. They all had to react on their own and uh, kind of maybe leaderless. And yeah, that's true. And that's smart by Ramsey to take out their leader first. So. Yeah, I, I, I get the impression that that was just it was it was two and a half to one or, or two to one odds. But it got to one to one really quick, and they were all mounted and ready to fight while the other ones were kind of waiting a little bit, and yep. they weren't really as ready. Confused. Yeah, I yeah, we I think I don't have any examples, uh, but I think history is full of examples of his of the element of surprise just totally turning the tide of a battle like that, and being mounted. Yes, I enjoy being mounted on a yep. horse. On a horse. That's why I chose that. Yeah. <laughs> What is Wex's deal? I love like, that guy. Loyal to the end, mm-hmm. to such a prick. If Wex can be loyal to someone like Theon, wow. Yeah. The what a kid. It's it's interesting the parallels between Wex and Pod. Pod. Podrick. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe but, they just they just just need some direction, and they need absolute direction, and so they don't question. Yeah. The ethics of the, the person they're receiving yeah. direction from. They just they just want someone to serve. Like, I kind of get that. Yeah. But uh, they are both remarkably good at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to research Pod a little bit more, uh, which I didn't do in advance of this episode. But uh, Wex, I imagine he just doesn't have a whole lot of options. Uh, you know, he's a bastard, so he doesn't have a whole lot of people looking out for him, I don't think. He could maybe leave with Asha's guys, but... 
They maybe don't care about him. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't think he's got a whole lot of choices. But yeah, he seems super loyal. Pod, I think, is in a bit of a similar situation. He doesn't have a big, a big family uh, to take care of him and stuff. And this Tyrion's kind of his. It's kind of his lifeline a little bit. That's a really good point. So if your if your livelihood, like, depends on who you know and who you serve and who you're connected with, then you just got to do your best to, to serve whoever you can. Especially can in this time of war. That, I can see that with Podrick. In, T- in Theon's situation, though, even knowing who he is and stuff, I'd still want to be distancing myself as much as I could from that guy. Yeah. But I don't know what kind of stuff Wex has going on in his head. So. Yeah, Wex, Wex seems pretty okay with jerks. I mean... He's an iron fucking the board. The They're yeah. all okay with jerks. Sleeping naked at the foot of Theon's bed. Yeah, no big deal. Speaking of uh, speaking of the Ironborn, one of the best lines from this chapter: "Savages believe all manner of foolish things," which is uh, I don't know, maybe Black Lauren, one of the Ironborn, responding Lauren, to yeah. to the Dothraki. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> reading that, being like, "Savages believe all manner of foolish things, huh? Have you looked in the mirror?" <laughs> I thought of Gimli when he talked about his stand on the drawbridge. Scab. <laughs> yeah, totally. You're gonna have to toss me. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell the elf. Yeah, that's move. That's movie stuff. But yeah, it was great. It is movie stuff. It was a great moment. I liked it. Uh, it was. It was a good moment. Yeah. Damn it! Now I'm gonna put those in tonight. Uh, <laughs> all all nine hours of extended Lord of the Rings. No, it's you're just, well, you're it's, welcome. Scan. It's just gonna be two towers with that stand on the. Uh, as the effects, the effects are a little laughable. As like the army of orcs are just running at Gimli and he's and they're just kind of as the as the shot pulls way out and you're like hundreds of feet in the air and you kind of just see the lines of them just kind of streaming at him and falling off the bridge sweeping yeah being swept off yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like uh I'm not so and sure it's that's almost, accurate yeah like some of them are like jumping off like, yeah oh I'd yeah. rather jump off this bridge than fight yeah this one dwarf with the axe yeah anyways anyway wow that was a departure are we good to go? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't have much else on Theon unless you guys do. No, that is, ugh, that's a mess. Let's let's talk about Tyrion. Scad, it's you again. And Speaking of mess. Yeah, speaking of mess. Yes, go ahead. Not speaking of mess, cue the music, but after the music. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies. Tyrion, Lannister, or Imp, if you please. Speaking of mess, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to you guys or to our listeners. This chapter is a fucking disaster. <laughs> like, just reading it is painful. <laughs> so, so basically, Tyrion is a wreck and spends the whole chapter oscillating between barely awake and in immense pain and dreaming various dreams. And I was, I, I wrote down like a scene by scene breakdown for a chapter summary. I'm like, this is awful. Just reading it myself, I was like, oh my god, this is terrible. So rather than do the blow-by-blow, blow, I'm just going to give some bullet points of the important stuff he learns and the cool stuff he dreams. So so here it is. First, the living stuff. He reasons out during the chapter that they won. If he's alive, they won the battle. So he figures that out. Uh, he figures out that he's taken some damage, obviously. Uh, and that damage is an arrow that almost cost him a limb. Uh, a broken rib from his fall from the horse, most like. Could have been something else, but we know he fell from his horse. So it's probably that. Uh, a face wound 
for which Tyrion demands looking uh, into a looking glass, and which I will read. Uh, sitting on the edge of the bed, he poured half a cup of wine and held it to Tyrion's swollen lips. The trickle went down cool, though he could hardly taste it. Uh, no, that's the wrong chat. That's the wrong damn paragraph. There we go. He turned over the glass. He did not know whether he ought to laugh or cry. The gash was long and crooked, starting a hair under his left eye and ending on the right side of his jaw. Three quarters of his nose was gone, and a chunk of his lip. Someone had sewn the torn flesh together with catgut, and their clumsy stitches were still in place across the seam of raw, red, half-field flesh. Pretty, he croaked, flinging the glass aside. Mm-hmm. So this is a man that is not already considered not attractive in any sense, and now he has to deal with this. Uh, anyway, okay, so he, he, he was in terrible condition. He was at first stored with a lot of other injured people from the battle, but he was found by somebody in his family and moved to another room. But it's noted that it was not his room, not the Tower of the Hand. Um, he learns that Tywin is back, and everyone hails him as the savior of the city. Uh, he's also learned that Tywin is the new Hand, and that he stole his room, of course. And lastly, and probably most importantly, he feels, he, he realizes that he feels he isn't safe. Men more clearly betrayed him, likely at his sister's urging, and he's now basically under her care. He's right in the queen's quarters, basically like in a, in a room above them, uh, with a hand-picked maester who poppy roofies him every chance he can get. Um, and yeah, so he's learned all that. Now the dreams, some of the, some of the cool dreams that he goes through. Uh, he dreams first of a field of the dead, many obviously at his command. The images haunt him, faded colors and bloated bodies as he's just kind of wandering through this field of dead. He wants to scream, but his mouth is sewn over with skin. Creepy. That mouth sewn over skin thing kind of perpetuates through the chapter. Uh, his second dream, uh, he thinks is a dream, but I don't think so, given that we know Tywin is in town. It's just his father with his sister and later Varys and Baelish kind of muttering and commenting. He hears them, but he can't really understand what they're saying. Mostly he is, in his thoughts, he's just cursing every single one of them in his dream. Uh... The next one, though, is a good dream. It's a short one. It's basically just a great feast, and he's the hero celebrated by all. Um, And the last dream is the best one, and heartbreaking at the same time. Uh, He dreams what is really more of a memory, I think, than a dream. He and Tisha, and we'll talk about her name in a little bit, he and Tisha in their cottage, flirting, teasing, kissing each other everywhere, making love, lying in the bed and talking. It's honestly, it's the kind of thing you'd see in a movie where people are falling in love and they're just spending magical weeks together. But it's a lie and it fades from him just as it did in real life. So he wakes from this final dream just in time uh, before Maester Balabar is going to poppy fuck him again. Um, He stops him and demands that his bandages be removed. He sends for Pod and requests that... uh, that he gets a new maester, Maester Franken. When Pod arrives, he makes sure that he's going to get a new maester. He asks that he brings Bronn to him, and they make sure Pod says nothing about the Bridge of Boats scene where Mandon betrayed him. Uh, his scheming over, his energy spent, he passes out again. And that's how the chapter ends. So, a quick a quick note about Taisha slash Tisha. I always called her Taisha. Um, and in the recent episode from Radio Westeros, actually, they call her Tisha. And I was like... That's silly. It's Tysha. And then I'm reading the chapter, and there's a little bit in there where Tisha says, Our names even sound alike. Tisha, Tyrion, Tisha, Tyrion. And so I think it probably is Tisha, so I'm going to try to fix it. Despite the say it how we want, 
hashtag well, that this podcast has. I'm going with Tisha. Tisha and Tyrion kind of sound alike too. Yeah, I know I was the one that said that, but I'm going to stick with Tisha. Yeah, I like the sound of Tisha better. Me too. I know a Tisha. It would be weird. <laughs> you know a Tisha? I do. Weird. Well, we can be divided on some things on this podcast. So <laughs> that's you never happened before. I don't know how we're going to deal with it I'll now. Take We've been so agreeable <laughs> yeah, for the twenty point. for thirty episodes, and now the letter Y is going to fuck 31st. us. First, yep. <laughs> the band is breaking up. We need this. We need this hiatus. Damn you, letter Y. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> we need a Sesame Street episode to teach us about letter Y. Yeah. Uh, Some therapy. So this wasn't my favorite chapter, as I indicated. Uh, my favorite part was probably the scene with Tisha. Tisha damn, damn it! The scene with Tisha. <laughs> Look, I'm going to meetings. I'm going to figure it out. It will be Tisha in the end, all right? The scene with Tisha is the, the, the best part of the scene to me. Or the best part of the, the uh, chapter to me. It's heartbreaking. And it's devastating. gives super insight into something that Tyrion had relayed to Shay before but not in this much detail not with this much not with this much romanticism and passion right and um man heartbreaking because i mean there was playfulness there yes. was oh, it was really it seemed so sincere yeah and, and yet like as Tyrion's thoughts say it was all a lie or whatever he says so it's yeah we discussed this when he did tell Shay about Taisha, whatever. Um, how it, this is really his weakness. This is his vulnerability, and for him to be having this dream in the state that he's in is really just. Oh, he's low right now. Super low. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Scary no. low. Don't no. blame him. Oh, little pod though. Take taking care. Still there. Yeah. 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 Sticking around. Yeah, just like Wex. Yep. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I I think he's a uh, he's a keeper. Obviously, he's uh, a good little he's dude. Super reliable. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And Terry knows it too. He's like, get Podrick Payne. Yeah. Yeah. And get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the blood. Get me the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. No. So hmm. that's a little Daniel Day Lewis for you guys. Uh. I got some more Daniel... Teaser, I got some more Daniel Day-Lewis for you later in the episode. Oh, great. Yeah, I know you're excited. Uh, <laughs> awesome. How about, how about the whole... S- kind of sifting through the Mandanmore betrayal stuff? So he suspects Cersei. Mm-hmm. But if it was Cersei, then why is he still alive? Like, he was out of it enough that she could have easily just... Finish the job. Dosed him with something else besides milk with a poppy and finish the job. They could have accidentally dumped him over a bridge as they were moving him out of the Tower of the Hand into wherever he is now. Look, anything, right? (laughs) Any number of possibilities that your brain could fathom. It's basically Weekend at Bernie's with Tyrion at this point. Like, they could have done anything to him. Like, they're transferring him rooms. Like, they're feeding him. Like, propping him up. Like, whatever. Like, they could do whatever they wanted with him. And he's alive. Mm So, I don't know. If it was seriously... It just kind of doesn't add up to me. Does it add up to you? No, I've got someone who I believe 90% that it is. Yeah. But 
me saying so would uh, I would be revealing something from a later book, so I'd have to wait till Davos After Dark. Yeah, okay. I've got feelings on that too. Maybe we maybe I shouldn't have brought it up, and we can talk about it later. But yeah, uh, that's fine. Interesting, well, Brooke. What do you think? Yeah, we should definitely talk about it later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> how about moving on? Let's play. Let, let's move on to something a lot more happy. Let's play. What is the worst thing you've lived through? Because this would rank number one on my list if I lived through this thing Tyrion's going through. Yeah. L- lose your face, and you know, admittedly, Tyrion's face was not a whole lot to look at before. But you know, it, it's what you got. So. You're, yeah. It's a huge part of your identity, regardless of what it looks like, and it's gone He's... for him. And uh, I don't know. And that yeah. thought that he has of how could I live without a mouth? You know, that's all. That's very practical. Yes, he needs to eat and, yes. and do all that things that a mouth requires. But that also is a big part of Tyrion's success. Is yes, his mouth. Yes. Yeah. Yep. In that moment where he believes he may not have a mouth anymore. In the dream at the very beginning. Yeah, and that, yeah. Kind, of, that kind of plays nicely throughout the chapter. Maybe I didn't give the chapter enough credit. It's it's That that part is well well laced throughout. Um, you know, that actually he doesn't have a mouth the way he's used to having it. Um, so it's maybe the physical manifesting right. itself in the dream. Right. I kind of thought of it as uh, those old school musicals, Scad, you like old movies, where in the middle of the musical, they always have like that interlude of like 20 minutes of no dialogue, no real plot or anything. It's just like music and them like dancing around and going through different things. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's on Singing in the Rain, Oklahoma, and there's not a lot happening. I usually skip past them. That's why I don't know a whole lot of what's happening during those things because I skip them. Well, I'm not, a but, hu- I'm not a huge fan of old musicals. I like old movies, but I like more current musicals. But o- Oklahoma has a couple things. I think they got like a hoedown scene. And then they've also got what is really kind of a cool scene, which is ab- a little abstract, which is a dream sequence uh, where the, the villain character yeah. murders the, the good character. And uh, yeah. I helped choreograph that scene once. And it was awesome. Ooh! But uh, yeah, it's actually a ballet. Like it's it's pre- it's pretty cool. But yeah, um, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, but not yeah. it's it's a dream. It reminded me of and... one of those things. Mm-hmm. Which part reminded you of that? This whole chapter. Oh, the whole chapter. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. It's kind of in and out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Experiencing all these different things. It doesn't really. I guess it kind of drives the plot along. It definitely drives Tyrion's arc a little bit, but not a ton. And also just the whole tone of the chapter is so depressing like he's been abandoned he's alone most of the time when he wakes up um like last when he was lucid he was leading the charge in this incredible battle and battle fever yeah yeah, the battle lust fever or whatever and and now it's and he has go ahead sorry well he's Tyrion. he's smart so he's deduced that you know he's out of the position of the hand, and yeah, it's not good. And we know from the Sansa chapter that he has gotten zero credit yeah. for mm. all the work he's done to prepare the city to, and then to defend it. 
I mean, um, he's been involved clear back when they were making the wildfire and stuff. Yeah. And and then he gets down to the nitty gritty of actually riding out and fighting. And he gets zero mention at the ceremony. He gets no credit for it. Mm. And uh, us knowing that makes it even more depressing. And, and that's played mm. nicely in the scene as well uh, by his dream where he is crowned the hero of the feast, right? And then mm. I think it's the very next time he wakes up, Balabar tells him, Oh, Tywin, so wonderful, saved the city. You know, and mm. so it's very, that is played nicely, the, the kind of uh, expectation, yeah, hope versus reality. Right, like he's dreaming, uh, the dream is actually a hope that, hey, yeah. once I get better and get out of this bed, they're going to throw me this huge feast, it's going right. to be awesome. Right. Yeah. Oh, Tyrion. Yep. Yeah. We'll see what knock, happens. Knock, knocking on heaven's door. Yeah, at least he's not dead. Do you think he's going to heaven? Mm. <laughs> I don't know, I just had that song in my head while I was reading the chapter. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Guns N' Roses? I've always got I've always got a song in my head, like all the time. Uh, and this was the one that was for this chapter. Is that Bob nope. Dylan, not Guns N' Roses? Yeah. Scad likes the Guns N' The Guns N' Roses, Roses version is far superior. Oh, uh, I disagree forever and ever and always. <laughs> <laughs> listen, you guys can go listen for Violent yourselves. So it's not just the it's not just the letter Y we're going to combat over tonight. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, I actually prefer the Avril Lavigne version, but knock knock knocking on heaven's door. Knock knock knocking on heaven's door. I had I had photographed the Def Leppard song a little bit in my head reading the Tyrion chapter. That song we can agree with. The Tisha, the Tisha part, at least. Okay. <laughs> Brooks over it. Moving yeah. on. Time, time to move on to some Joan. That rhymed. <laughs> yeah, it did. Where we're going up north, where the winter's cold and the icicles bloom like the bluest rose. We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf. He's John Snow. So John and Corn Hapan are still running from the wildlings their ranging had spied in the Skirling Pass, with a skin-changing eagle and inescapable spy tracking them from the sky. They lost Eben and Stonesnake along the way when Corn sent each of them to try and warn Mormont. So it's just the two of them when Corn finally lets them rest and light a fire. There's a sort of quiet desperation in this chapter too um their garrons are almost ridden to death they're out of food they can't shake the eagle watching them they know the size and the strength of the wilding force coming south so while they sit by their last fire corin asks john snow if john's sword is sharp and has him repeat his vows of the night's watch once again 
Um, he tells John, John who says he's not afraid to die, that the end might not be so easy as just dying. That if they are taken by the wildlings, John must yield. He must convince the wildlings he's broken his night's watch oath, that he forsakes his brothers and wants to join the wildlings just as uh, Egret had once urged him to do. So John is fairly reluctant, but Corrin commands John to take up with them and find out why they are gathered, what Mance's plans are, and to not return to Mormont until John has some answers. Corrin tells John that the honor of the Night's Watch brothers means no more than their lives, so long as the realm is safe. So John best be working on his game face. Sure enough, doubling back and taking an underground passage to try to elude the eagle, they are cornered by a group of 14 wildlings and eight hunting dogs against just Corrin, John, and Ghost. Led by a wildling named Rattleshirt, called Rattleshirt by the Black Brothers. He wants to be called the Lord of Bones, but they call him Rattleshirt because he literally <laughs> wears clothing of just sewed bones. <laughs> like, like some sort of Guys, crazy... call me Lord of Bones. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm even keeled. Guys, it's Lord of Bones. Gosh. Yeah, so they call him Rattleshirt. <laughs> just, just like... What you would call the homeless guy on the corner who wears his shirt of bones. <laughs> so Rattleshirt leads this group and they show John and Corn the head of Eben lifted from a sack by his ear. They had caught him on his way to try to uh, warn Mormont and the rest of the Black Brothers. So, yeah, uh, John immediately is like we yield stop okay don't kill us we know we're outnumbered we know that you know you guys are willing to kill us let us just join join the wildlings instead and rattleshirt denies him saying they don't want no craven bastards but lucky for john egret is part of this group as well and she vouches for him after a lot of posturing and bone rattling, Rattleshirt finally agrees to let John live and join the wildlings so long as John proves his oath breaking by killing Corrin Halfhand. So this is when John and the reader both realize Corrin knew it would come to this all along. When Corrin commanded John to yield and told John not to balk whatever was asked of him, this is what Corrin meant. And so they fight. Uh, John ends up slashing Corn's throat with just the tip of Longclaw, almost as if by luck. Uh, Ghost had gotten a hold of Corn's leg as they were, as they were fighting, and uh, yeah, John just 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 found an opening and managed to to get his sword slashed in. Very very convenient. So um, that's that's pretty much the end of the chapter. Uh, John joins the Wildlings. Egret's like. Yeah, we're not going back to the Skrilling Pass. We're heading for the wall. Let's go. And that's it. Corn oh. is dead. What? Oh, one of the biggest legends of the Night's Watch oh, so killed so just cool. like that. Now is- we know, you know, at the end of the chapter, we realize why he asked John, I think, if his sword was sharp. Yeah. Because like you said, he knew possibly what was going to happen. And he wanted it to be quick. Yeah, what an incredible sacrifice. 
knowing that one of them would have to join the wildlings to for the for the uh farce or for the ruse to work right well yeah it was, it was one of two things were going to happen the wildlings were going to kill both of them or right. one of them could live and be an oathbreaker and we can get some intel yeah get some intel and corn knew that john had the best chance of doing that because corn is like a legend among the wildlings mm-hmm. And they never would have trusted him and uh, never would have believed that he would turn cloak, but, uh, or I guess Black Brothers can't turn cloak, that he would break his oath. But uh, yeah, John was the perfect candidate and Korn didn't even blink. He knew exactly what was going to have to happen and he made the sacrifice work, I guess. Homage to Corrin. Yeah. Much love, buddy. And his final word was sharp. That whole group of wild of uh, black brothers, incredible. Yeah, those Shadow Tower brothers, hardcore, hardcore. Except for that Mance Raider guy. Eben, Everyone else, though. Eben was my favorite. So selfless. Eben was cool. Send John. Send John. Right? right. Send him. He can ride just as well as I can. He's younger, more life ahead of him. Send him. Yeah, he probably knew too. Even Dalbridge. Right. Yeah, sure. I'll go hold everyone off by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shoot arrows at him. Stone Snake, we don't know about. Yeah, right? we don't as know about Stone this Snake. Goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we so could assume if, around we, the mountains. Yeah, we could assume if they had him, they would have shown his head just like they did Evans. But uh, exactly, doesn't mean exactly. he made it either. We did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I, I was, I was put off by John's observation. Like he, he paints a very dire picture. Like as soon as he cleared the peak, he knew he would never make it. I don't really know why. Seems seems possible. John's head's probably not in the best space right now. No, I can only imagine how miserable they are. Have you noticed about John that uh, you know, we, like in in Game of Thrones, in our analysis, it was always like, oh, "I'm a bastard down in the dumps." Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but but you haven't heard any of that in like this whole book, right? Like he almost yeah, never sure. brings it up. He's got like. This whole life he's living now, and it, it's just, it's almost beyond, not that he's forgotten where he came from, but it just doesn't matter to him as much now. He's, he's found the acceptance in that family that yeah, he, I guess he felt like he never had, or, or being a part of something. Except now he's lost it again. Right. Yeah. Much like Tyrion in the last chapter, who's kind of lost his recently acquired identity of hand, tower, you know, uh, King's Hand and power and control and, you know, scheming and... and Machiavellian tactics. John has found this family and this life to live and this duty and honor, and he's lost that too. Or and that's what makes it all the more tragic. Or at least has yeah. to pretend he's lost it. You could argue that he has it more than ever uh, that he's playing this game. But uh, and then he learns that he has to march back to the very people that he just betrayed. Yes, <laughs> right, right. We're going to the wall. Yeah, yeah. And then add to that, uh, the Wildlings confirm that he's a warg. Like. Yep. Pull out. He is also some sort of magical being. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't really respond to that, did he? No. Just like I mean, like he knew, I guess. But he kind of knew. But you know, it's like, got to be shocking that he knows that they know. Sometimes when you're, sometimes when you're like a passionate individual, it <laughs> takes somebody else to have to call you out on it for you to really see it. Huh. Good point, Scad. Hmm. You guys, you guys, you guys want a word of the day? 
Is it um, passive aggressiveness? <laughs> I don't know what that word means. Uh, no, uh, word of the day. So we get in this chapter uh, the death of a fallen Garen, and they use its blood to thicken their oats and make porridge. So I bring to you garage. <laughs> Part of your healthy, complete morning breakfast, uh, blood oat-fueled porridge from oh, the life of a Garen. Garage. I like that. Okay, Good word. I, I, oh, I did look up a few, you know, highly respected and uh, medical articles on the subject, and nowhere did I found that eating blood strengthens you. I know. What, what did Surprising. you find that eating Surprising. blood does? Nothing. Nothing. Somebody should tell that to those damn Dothraki crones. Yeah, it doesn't do much of nothing. Doesn't elongate any of your teeth make you susceptible to sunburns? Uh, not that I read. Give you an aversion to garlic? Or, spark- or sparkling in the sun? <laughs> it doesn't make you sparkle. <laughs> did I just admit to having a little bit of Twilight lore? Yes, I did. I apologize to everyone. And... Uh... For any of our listeners who might be confused because, like, directly conflicts with any other sort of Dracula trope. (laughs) (laughs) In Twilight, the vampires have, like, diamond skin, and so they can go into the sunlight, but they sparkle. Well, I think they still can't, can they? They still can't go, like, in direct sunlight, can they? No, they can. He like, does. Oh, crap! Yeah. This is betraying my knowledge now. Yeah. They they can. Oh, they just don't because it betrays them. Yeah, because they're so brilliant. I thought I remembered some scene in one of the movies. I didn't read the books. Ugh. Why are we wasting time on this? Let's move on. Yeah, I didn't either. Fuck those books. Uh, I didn't read the books because they were awful, but yeah. I definitely watched the movies because they were amazing. <laughs> they were Before awful. Before we move on, let's just talk about. Them. They were awful. I couldn't even get through the second one. Chew his baby out of his wife's uterus. I didn't watch him. I watched the second one and stopped. Couldn't handle it. It is fine filmmaking, Skid. Really? Uh, It's pretty self-indulgent. It's 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 pretty terrible. Having a sister that writes young adult fiction, it's... It, like, stands for everything. Well, whatever. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, anything else that we want to cover in the John chapter here? I have two. I promised Great. I promised more DDL, uh, and I will deliver, that going through the waterfall into the cave, just like the last Mohicans movie, you stay alive, A. Lewis. No matter what occurs, I will find you. No? No. No? no? What? It took me long enough to realize what DDL was. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. I got it. I got it, buddy. Got it now. <laughs> they jump through the waterfall just like just like they do with the... All right. That one fell on deaf ears. Never seen it, but I'm sure many of our listeners have and will respond very well to that. We can't talk about Twilight. We're not talking about this either. What Jared's the point. No, hold on a minute. The last Mohicans movie <laughs> is way better than the book, believe it or not. I've, I'm um, struggling can, to keep my eyes open. Uh, fine. We can talk about this <laughs> offline. I won't take our listeners into it, but 
there are like legitimate reasons why this is true. All right, the other thing is uh, I loved I loved Corrin's turn snow and die. It was very dramatic, very uh, yeah. very playing we the part. Yeah, because he didn't let John hesitate. Yes, he made the decision. He attacked. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He attacked. Very Macduff yeah. from Macbeth. Turn hellhound, turn. Mm-hmm. It's good. Good stuff. Yeah, I agree. Very much unlike the acting job that the Lannisters put on in the Sansa chapter. Yes. <laughs> Let's pretend this wasn't all set up ahead of time. Yeah. Costner-esque. That was so funny. Oh, Prince of Thieves was so popular when it came out, too. And it, it, it was, was a good movie. That's and I will not deny... Self-indulgent romp, but man, his accent was terrible. It wasn't. A, he didn't have one. He didn't try. Me and my friends, and we used to play Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, in the backyard. Yeah. I like to be Will Scarlet. That was my favorite guy. Yeah. Look, the unwritten... That's his name. Yeah. Will, Will Scarlet. Uh, the guy with the daggers. Yeah. Um, the unwritten um, Kevin Costner rule later. is sports movies good. Uh, his non-sports movies, a lot less good. That's the unwritten rule for Costner. I would agree with that. I enjoyed Watch the World. fun. At the time, it was super controversial. It was good. Eh. Huh. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Interesting premise. Yeah, I, okay. I think you guys will appreciate this more than the more than the other two duds that I laid out in this chapter. Rattle shirt. When he poops, is it rattle shit? No, nothing. All right. I. Yeah. Moving on. Yep. <laughs> I liked that. Moving on. I really did. <laughs> okay. Good job, Scad. Yeah, Thank you for all yeah. of your contributions. Really appreciate uh, it. I, I hate you guys. Uh, Matt, let's hear about some brand. Oh my god, hold on. I just need a little fanfare here. Matt, please take us on to the final chapter of The Clash of Kings. Ooh. Thank you, Brooke. And I have been blessed because I also did the final chapter of Game of Thrones. No way. Oh, yep. I remember that. The take her away, man. Five, six, seven, eight. Brandon Stark, won't you come back down from that tower your mind's been flying from? Your legs don't work, but they don't really need to work when that third eye's showing you new ways unexplored and the summer's gonna come. No, it's gonna come. Summer's gonna come and boy, you're gonna fly away. The ashes fell like a soft gray snow. That is the gorgeous opening line we are treated to as Bran, warded into summer and accompanied by Shaggy, Shaggy Dog, inspects the still-burning ruin of Winterfell. And uh, you know, while the various portions of the castle are either standing or ruined uh, after the Bolton apparent sack of Winterfell, the wolves are able to pick up the scent of nary a living soul. And uh, it's just as Summer slash Bran feels himself being mentally drawn to the crypts, where he does not want to go, that Bran is pulled out of his warging and into the quote-unquote dark place where all men were blind. In other words, inside of the crypts. Uh, so yeah, we discover that this dark place is actually the crypts of Winterfell, where Bran, Rickon, Hodor, Osha, and the Reeds have been hiding all along. Silly Theon spending the whole day hunting for them in the woods. Uh, Bran's amigos inform him that he'd been warged into summer for three whole days. 
Uh, he's actually pleased with himself. He feels that his third eye do 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 has finally opened. And he could reach summer now whenever that gets he a laugh. Her. Come on. <laughs> it's a callback. It's good stuff. I do whatever I can. Since we don't have any any mention of the crossroads now, I've got to find another mm, for now. Consistent musical jingle. Yeah. Um, so anyways, he feels that his third eye <clears throat> has finally opened and he could reach Summer whenever he wanted. Uh, he'd even been able to touch Ghost and talk to Jon Snow. Confirmation of what we read last episode. But all this warging can get dangerous, his friends warn him, as even though Summer was eating during that time and Bran could even taste the meat, uh, his own human body wasn't being nourished at all during this time. Uh, so he's got to be careful. Bran seems to be disinterested in all this. Uh, he, he's, he doesn't care what's going on with his own frail and broken body, even amidst Jojen's warning of, in the words of Mufasa, up in the clouds. <laughs> so after Bran tells everyone what he saw as summer, the super friends make the fateful decision to finally venture out of the crypts. So, armed with swords taken from the likenesses of the dead kings of winter, they do just that, opening the doors of the crypt and walking out into a scene of horror. Bodies of both man and beast are strewn everywhere, and buildings such as even the ancient and stalwart First Keep are completely burned out and collapsed. So all of this is taken in as the group makes a slow circuit of the castle, they're on the lookout for both food and survivors. Food they find, but no survivors, until Summer, who they'd reunited with, uh, suddenly takes off towards the godswood. Following him, uh, the party comes across none other than our dear old Maester Lewin. Whoa! Fatally wounded and dying next to Winterfell's heart tree. Now, one can only imagine the agony he must have went through. Uh, getting there after we know from the Theon chapter that he took a spear to the back during the sack of Winterfell. So despite his condition, Lewin's actually overjoyed to see Bran and Rickon alive, even joking while the boys lament his imminent death. He's saying, I'm much older than you. I can die as I please. Uh, Lewin counsels Osha to split the boys up, both you know for protection and to increase the chances of a Stark male heir surviving. He then counsels the boys to be strong and asks Osha for one final favor, wink, wink. Uh, she smells what he's stepping in and sends everyone out of the godswood, exiting herself alone a few moments later. Uh, I think we can correctly deduce Mercy killing Luan. You made it sound like she was going to give him a blowjob. Yeah, that was really, like, induendo-y. <laughs> Rigo. Uh, he then counsels the boys to be strong and asks Osha for one final favor. Uh, Osha seems to catch on to what he means and uh, counsels everyone to leave the godswood. She comes out a few minutes later, and I think we can correctly deduce after Mercy killing Lewin. So it's there that the fellowship is broken. Osha takes Rickon and Shaggy Dog East to where she's not totally sure yet. And as for Bran... He's accompanied by Hodor, Mira, and Jojen. 
Uh, Bran asks if they'll be going south, back to the Reeds' home at Greywater Watch. Makes sense, right? No, Jojen replies. Our road is north. Hmm. So as Bran is getting further and further from the castle, he notices that while the interior is in ruin, the outer wall remains sturdy, almost as if the castle hadn't been burned at all. And so I'd just like to read the final passage as I find it rather hopeful and eloquent. He says, uh, it says, the stone is strong, Bran told himself. The roots of the trees go deep, and under the ground the kings of winter sit their thrones. So long as those remained, Winterfell remained. It was not dead, just broken. Like me, Bran thought, I'm not dead either. End of book. Nice. Nice. So... Sad scene. Sad scene seeing them uh, separate. But um, probably the right thing to do, right? Yeah. I want to just call out that you referenced this uh, motley crew of merry merry men uh, as both the super friends and the fellowship in your summary. Well done. Mm -hmm. I, I tried to have fun with it. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably the best choice, splitting up. Seems like a good idea. Um, mm. Double your chances, potentially, of uh, slipping through whoever's out there and uh, keeping one of the heirs alive. Yeah, even as dire as the thought of them getting back to Winterfell seems, right? I don't know. Yeah, and uh, for the first time in this book, we have no Stark in Winterfell. Very true. Yeah, interesting how they didn't really consider just staying and defending, like or hiding. They can yeah, hide there, continue hiding. They can hide there forever, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Bring as much food down as you want into the crypts. Bring some torches. Hang out. But then they don't know, like if if and when they're gonna get out, right? Yeah. Like, what if they do run out of food, and meanwhile Winterfell's being rebuilt around them and garrisoned and. Small folk are being brought in to run the place, you know? Yeah, I, I can't remember now. I mean, I just read the chapter, but did Lewin tell him really what happened? Uh, no, not really. I mean, a little information would have helped Lewin instead of joking. I know I come off hard on <laughs> Lewin sometimes, but... He's dying. Don't, maybe don't it's trust the flayed... Don't trust the flayed men, maybe? Some advice? I don't know. That would have been nice. Look out for the Boltons. Yeah. I agree with that. Just, uh, yeah, I mean, they don't they don't have a whole lot to go on. I mean, I can see why staying would be not good. Winterfell's a big town, a big city that people flock to. They don't know who they can trust, if they can trust anybody, so maybe staying doesn't make sense. Yeah, and he did it, call out either the Umbers or the uh, or Scad's house, the Manderleys. But, yep. yeah, he didn't really give a lot of, yeah. don't go to the Boltons and yeah. stuff. Well, and, you know, he doesn't know a lot either, really, uh, as to what exactly right. is going on, to be fair to mm -hmm. him. Um, you know, I think I think for, for Rickon, it's kind of like, who knows where he'll end up. I, I don't know that he's got, like, any sort of compass. It's just kind of stay alive, no matter what occurs, I will find you. But uh, for, for Bran, he's got something going on. That third eye is talking to him. Jojen's driving him. He knows there's something more to him, I think, right? The, the I'm not broken uh, bit at the end is evidence that he knows he has something, a bigger part to play here, and sitting at the status quo at Winterfell maybe isn't the plan, right? I think mm -hmm. he's, he's driven by something. Mm -hmm. I agree. 
We've talked about loyalty with Wex and uh, Podrick. I'd also throw in Osha now. As far as, like, inexplicable loyalty? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Jojen and Mira, at least, like, there's probably some sort of familial, like, tie or debt or at least liege lordness. Yeah, what does Osha owe these kids other than maybe she likes them? It's it's weird. Yeah, it's Osha, like it's like she Wex, came yeah. in as a captive. Yeah. She came in as a captive into Winterfell. Yeah. And now she's willing to to risk her life to uh, to protect these kids. You know, she she played that whole ruse in the um in Winterfell's Great Hall or whatever when Theon came in saying she'd join up with him. And then she she ditched and yeah. and risks it all to protect the kids. We should also you know. we should also consider what she's got going on. So yeah, it's a risk to help the Stark kids. Her alternatives though are move on and yeah, she's free and she can she's a free woman, she can do what she wants. But her yeah. options I don't she's a good hunter, I guess. I don't know what skills she's got. She's gonna end up being, you know, a <laughs> scrubbing pots or who knows what, right? But something not too high on the food chain. Possibly if she sticks with the Stark kids, maybe she gets a pretty good life out of it if she can actually Make a go of it, kind of, kind of the comparison I made with Wex. It's like, well, maybe he actually thinks this is his best option for a good life. It's a chance, it's a risk, but it's a chance of something better. Maybe that's the way she sees it. Mm. Yeah, and the protection of Shaggy Dog is worth. Like Rickon has proven himself to be an annoying little kid. What? <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a reasonable take. <laughs> so. Yeah, a good point, Matt. That uh, this is another another person that you really have to empathize with and put yourself in their shoes to understand their motivations because it's a little hard to justify from the outside. She's basically becoming a mom, right? Oh yeah, basically yeah, and a pet owner. That's a big commitment. <laughs> Both. I was a little disappointed that Summer was dominant over Shaggy in that little uh, horse exercise they did. Mm-hmm. Indeed. I'm Team Shaggy Dog. We know you are. I know. <laughs> I'm also Team Poxy Tim. I, I want to note that it's no coincidence that this book ends in the same chapter that we note Poxy Tim is dead. I think that's not a coincidence. Farewell, Poxy. A moment of silence for Poxy Tim. Hmm. Bowmaster of Winterfell. I'm sure he went down swinging. And missing, probably. Yeah. Wincing, hey. turning its face. <laughs> Indeed. Other than that, not a ton to talk about yeah. here in this portion of the podcast. Yeah, I've got bullet point after bullet point for Devils After Dark. Uh, just, That's, um, just lastly... Is... Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I just feel for these kids. Just one. I mean, we said a lot of times, but just one last time. Just every role model, every person that's taking them under their wing is kind of eliminated, right? Lewin's, Lewin's kind of one of the last ones, and they got Osha left. And man, similar to Arya, huh? Just a little bit about that. Yeah, Gurm is two for two on sad endings to books. I guess Game of Thrones was a little more exciting because the dragons. Yeah, happened. that was uplifting. Uh, yeah, there's a lot the of final preceding that. Sure. A lot. Yeah, yeah. But this is like Empire, right? This is like, this is like Down Note City. Are you talking about the Empire Strikes Back? Yeah. Ah. What else would he be talking about, Brooke? The TV show Empire. Oh. Yeah. Which is excellent. Is it? 
it's really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like a soap opera, but it's fantastic. Hmm. Matt, you might like it for the music. Like, it's very music oriented. Yeah, it's they've released like albums, right, mm-hmm. of the music, mm-hmm. like of these faux artists from on the show have released like singles and stuff that actually go onto iTunes and stuff, right? I'm sure yeah. they appreciate you calling them faux artists. <laughs> I, I should. But it's like it's released under the name of this I know what you meant. Character. Just, just give me I think a it's hard like time. Glee. They release it under like yeah. so that yeah. no one of them gets more royalties and all the money goes to the studio or whatever. Uh-huh. Glee. It's like on uh, the show Castle. It's about a, a writer who walks around with cops. Right. Um, and there's How? actually, his name's Richard Castle, and there's actually books you can buy by Richard Castle now. No way. They're like crime books, yeah. Oh, interesting. Never read, in, read any of them. I can't speak to their merit. Anyways. Oh. Does, okay. Cap, does Captain Mal have any say in those books? Yeah. <laughs> does he, like, do the foreword or something? He should. <laughs> It's, yeah, Captain Malcolm Reynolds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, Firefly. That's, oh, they have bad effects in Firefly, too. Serenity really brought it around, though. I need to rewatch both of those. Yeah. It's been less than a year, but I still want to rewatch them. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I got on Bran. Okay, well then, I think we're ready to move on to some Davos After Dark. Yeah, yeah. I know I am. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. This is when we move on to the spoilery segment of the podcast. Please join us in two weeks. We are going to be doing a little end of a Clash of Kings special episode. We're going to be answering your questions. So send them in to us, as Gad mentioned at the beginning of the episode, by email at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com or our Twitter at Davos Fingers, or find us on Facebook, or send us a raven, whatever you want to do. Um, and then we're also going to be doing a little bit of trivia, so brush up on your arcane obtuse details from the book. Get get reading. What what were they eating for that second course in that particular feast? Something, oh, something stuffed with something. Yeah, something with nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright, that was after dark. <laughs> Davos after dark. What if Theon had actually joined the Night's Watch? Wouldn't that have been amazing? Oh man. Until John found him. I would love to see that that reunion of John and Theon. <laughs> it would just be like the walk up and punch. Yeah, like John's walking around with, with Grin and Pip and all of his buddies and everything, having a good time. And then he sees in the line of new recruits, Theon Greyjoy. And he's just like, oh, it's on. Now, he'd, he'd find out, but John doesn't know anything about this yet. Right? About any of the Theon betrayal? I think he's been north of the wall the whole time. I don't, I don't think no. he knows any about this. I mean, he would find out, and then he would punch he the crap out of him. But I think he wouldn't even punch him without... No I, mean, I don't the think crap. their relationship was really great. No, but why punch him? It wasn't bad enough to punch him, was it? I don't know. Maybe it just because he can now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, got it's like, before I was the loner, Theon. Now you're the loner. I got a whole bunch of buddies. 
I think John would embrace him as a new black brother and forget their lives from before. You're probably right. <laughs> Until he found out what he did, and then he'd punch him. Sure. Dion <laughs> thinks that he might have risen high in the ranks, even become Lord Commander one day. I don't see that happening so much. No, no, no. He's but ambitious. Think... I'm, you know, a lot of that quote, like a lot of success is just showing up. Like he tries harder than most people, so he'd have. I think he'd have some success, but it, I think eventually he'd fall on his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it wouldn't end well. No. I do think, just with his attitude and stuff, I kind of think that the guys at Castle Black, you know, the Alistair Thorns and people like that, I think Theon could probably do pretty well amongst that crowd at Castle Black, but it probably wouldn't be sustainable, like you guys are saying. I think he could do exceptionally well if he learned a role and played the role. If he tried to be king of shit, then it, he'd fall on his face. I think. He's not a leader of men. He doesn't have it in him. And, yeah. Yeah. I think if, like, another Black Brother made Theon his bitch, <laughs> and just, like, controlled him a little bit, he might do okay. <laughs> Like Ramsey does. Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> We've seen it works, so. Uh, I love that new Theon is your version of making it work. <laughs> Tortured. Uh, anyway. Yeah, well, then he's not torturing, you know. Others, yeah. Defenseless fair. women. Fair and enough, fair enough, fair enough. Killing kids. Killing kids, yeah. I just, there's usually some sort of happy medium somewhere. Maybe not with Theon. Anyways, um, did we want to keep talking about uh, Marin? Uh, yeah, Marin and uh, him going after Tyrion. Mandon. 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 Damn it. Mandon. Marin. <sighs> Mandon. Marion. Tranton. Moore. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Okay. Yeah. So, um. Matt, give us your theories on who hired Mandon to kill Tyrion. Well, the, the biggest reason I don't think it's Cersei is we start getting her POV in A Feast for Crows, and she thinks about Tyrion all the time, thinking that he's the Valonqar and will one day kill her and stuff, but she never once thinks, oh, I should have just killed him when I had the chance. I wish Mandon would have finished the job or blah, 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 blah. She doesn't ever like implicate yeah. herself from her POV chapters. And with how much she thinks about Tyrion and how much she thinks about how much she despises Tyrion, I have to think that would have come up in one of her POV chapters. I agree. That, to me, is maybe the biggest evidence that it wasn't Cersei. Uh, also, the fact, like, uh, I think it was you, Skad, that mentioned during the cast that Tyrion's still alive. I think it was Littlefinger. Hmm. One, he wasn't around... Uh, well, I guess he was. It's kind of fuzzy as to when he got back. He got back with the Tyrells, right? He yep. arrived at the same time as everyone else. Yep. So he he could have finished the job on Tyrion. Um, so why I couldn't explain that. But uh, I remembered the instance back when Littlefinger and Tyrion are talking and... Littlefinger, for like one of the only times in the series, seems surprised. His like eyebrow raises or something when Tyrion says to Littlefinger, and he's lying at this point, but he says he knows who killed Jon Arryn. And Littlefinger mm. was like, "Oh, do you?" Uh, and you get this like 
little moment of uh, lapse in stoicness of little or sly, the slyness of Littlefinger. And so I think maybe the motive for Littlefinger wanting to kill Tyrion was to keep that a secret, to keep the Aaron thing uh, under wraps and not come out. He also he all a secondary less less substantial motive, but a, but a secondary is that Tyrion got the best of him on that whole uh, Marcella to the Vale thing, and uh-huh. was was visibly angered by it. Right, that that he had been gotten the better of, and says to him, "Keep me out of it next time." And I think I think Peter sees Tyrion as one of the guys that can actually play the game as well as he can. And yeah, let's get rid of him. That's not my theory, but I like it. I hadn't thought of it. Also, on a smaller note, and this could mean nothing, uh, Sir Mandon came from the Vale. He did. With yeah. John Aaron. That's mm. true. And Littlefinger could have instructed Mandon to take the opportunity before Littlefinger left. Like I think so, yes. Yeah. What were and you going to say, Scan? I, I think it's Joffrey. I think it's Joffrey. Um, Joffrey, we know we know he has no qualms about sending others out to kill others. Uh, uh, I don't mean capital O others, but just others. Uh, he's he, we believe he's the one that did the uh, cat spa on Bran, um, or at least I do. I'm not sure whether that's proven ever or not, but I believe it. Um, and I think he did it here too. He's tired of of Tyrion controlling things. Tired of being slapped by him in the yard, and uh, wants him gone. It okay. would make sense in the effect that, like, Mandon is always described as being very like stoic and and yep. just like a an order follower. Yeah, and somebody whose orders he would follow absolutely yep. are Joffrey. So, uh-huh. yeah. but it's uh, I don't have much evidence other than history that I think Joffrey's willing to do it and obvious that mm-hmm. he dislikes him. The Littlefinger theory is more interesting. I don't know. Um, do we ever? We don't ever is, learn, do we? Not that I know of. Google says no, we don't ever learn. <laughs> Yay for <laughs> Google. No, we don't. Okay. Um, listeners, full disclosure, Matt just had to pull off of the podcast. Matt pulled out early. <laughs> Just his style. Matt pulled up early. He's going to be back to say goodbye, but he had to go take care of some small family emergency. And I think, you know, we've had a pretty good run. This is our 31st episode, and this is the first time where someone's just had to been like, guys, I gotta go. Yeah. I, as a little pat on our back, we've we've done pretty good at making sure we're all always there. I've listened to podcasts where members are missing whole episodes before. But, oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, you know what? We're going to have to step up our game for the last of Davos After Dark and uh, finish strongly ourselves. We can Damn right it. we are. Yeah. Virtual high five, Scad. Bam! Oh, we missed. We suck. Yeah, well, we had thousands <laughs> of miles between us. <laughs> okay, so I uh, just wanted to talk about uh, this first appearance of the hairnet. Da, da, da. It feels, to me at least, the hairnet is... Very unreliable as an assassination tool. Uh, How do you feel about this? <laughs> uh, what do you mean? So, so if I've got this correctly, the Tyrrell 
grandmother, what's her face? Uh, yeah, Lady Olena. Lady, Lady Olena Tyrell, yeah. Pulls one of the jewels out of the hairnet and puts it in Joffrey's cup during that wedding feast, right? Uh, that's the, I don't actually, sadly, I don't remember whether it was Lady Elena or somebody else, but yes, somebody does that, yes. That's the logistics of it. That's, yes. so, Sansa is really just, like, a vehicle for getting this acai poison into the feast and up to, you know, the, the main table. Yes. But I, I feel like it, it, that's not good enough. Like, he needed a backup plan. That this got pulled off was a freaking miracle. Well... And then uh, it started this early on, too. It's just like, it was just tough to buy. Here's what I think. I think as risks go for the Tyrells, there's very little. They can take this all the way through the planning, the machinations, all, all of the stuff, all the way up to the day itself, all the way up to the moment where somebody actually takes one of the amethysts out of the hairnet. And up until that point where somebody takes the amethyst out of the hairnet, they're in the clear. Right? They're not, they're not part of any sort of plot. There's no risk to them. And so I think to them, this is a good vehicle. Sansa wears it. Sansa has it the whole time. If somebody finds out, it's probably Sansa's neck, not theirs. And, uh, you know, everyone else will deny having any knowledge of it. And, uh, you know, so for them, I think it's, it's a good plan. Because if it goes without a hitch, then it goes without a hitch. And they have very little risk. If it doesn't happen, then they'll try some other scheme to be done with Joffrey, right? And then who knows? Yeah, there's a lot of plausible deniability, especially considering for the hairnet to come into play, Littlefinger would have had to admit to having, like, Dantos in place to Lady Olenna. Yes. Like, while he was in... um, uh, fruit country or whatever. Yeah, on the Rose Road doing the negotiations, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, golf clap for Peter. So he's he, <laughs> he he's out on the Rose Road negotiating with the Tyrells to have them come save the Lannisters. Meanwhile, also negotiating the demise of the Lannisters at the exact same time. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Right? Because we know, we know Dantos' little fingers guy, uh, you know, and and he so Littlefinger gives him the hairnet that he got from the Tyrells, and Littlefinger is just kind of doing his puppetry everywhere, right? He so he gets the Lannisters to give him this huge lordship of Harrenhal and all the incomes and everything for basically stabbing them in the back and and making sure that their son <laughs> Joffrey dies. That's amazing work. Yeah, he really plays the long game because Harrenhal isn't even theirs to give at this point. Yes, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> It's like true. It's yeah. But, yeah. but you know, I, you know, you ask about like other methods or like other assurances. I, I like the idea of it being at the wedding because there's so much misdirection going on. And, uh, and so, so I like that because you could, you could pretty easily drop something in a cup during a toast or something. Um, you know, we, we actually already saw, uh, the maester do it at the very beginning of this book. Uh, you know, Melisander noticed it, and Davos noticed it, but nobody else in the room noticed that he po- that he poisoned the drink, right? And so right. I, think, I think you could get away with it. I think it's possible, um, but I think really they're playing it for its lack of risk to them. Um, you know, but you you know you could do other things. You know, mm-hmm. he's out out in the yard with a crossbow and an engineer a misfire or something or an exploding rabbit. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't 
I don't love it as as a potential for assurance of success. But as a shot, sure, take it and try something else. If it doesn't work, you you aren't uh, putting yourself at a huge amount of risk. Yeah, I guess. Mm, yeah, once they had Marjorie married to him, there would have been more opportunities for her to, to organize it from within. Loads. Lo- loads. <laughs> She's sleeping with him. She could do. <laughs> well, she could... but again, they want to distance themselves, yeah, so yeah. she would have to, you know, put so many point people in between her and yes. the final outcome. Yep. You know what? Very similar to Cersei's method of killing kings, but probably she'd do it better. <laughs> Cersei's I, like, one guy, he's related to me, and everybody knows that he was supplying the wine. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, oh, look who's back. Matt! Oh, little Matt, yeah. he, he made it back. Thanks, buddy, for joining us again. We missed you. And we didn't gossip about you at all. Sorry, my little uh, Chewy escaped his pen and was running loose. <laughs> by Chewy, I mean my two-year-old son. I missed you, Matt, but my missing you was not passionate. It was very even-keeled. It was very calm missing. Very Almost controlled. like a passive-aggressive missing. The entire ten minutes you were gone, it was just me talking scad down. <laughs> Settle down, buddy. Settle down. Uh, Anyways, I'm back. Yay! What do you want to talk about? Uh, we were just talking about the hairnet and um, its usefulness as an assassination tool, how early it came into play, how amazing it was that Littlefinger set that up, and do you have any opinions on the subject? Sounds like you guys covered it. Damn right we did. Yeah. Lana Tyrell? We stepped up. Right. She done it? Yeah. Yeah, we, we actually, maybe you can clear that up. We couldn't remember who actually did drop the amethyst in that we couldn't remember who actually did that deed. Well, it's never conclusively stated. Yeah, Littlefinger says that it was it was Olena, um, and he points out that it's when uh, he's like, "Remember when Olena straightened your hairnet?" And Sansa's uh, like, oh, yeah, yeah, "How yeah, did yeah. you know that?" And he said that when she straightened the hairnet, she grabbed one of the little a shy amethysts and plunked it into uh, the cup somehow. But that's coming from Littlefinger, so yep. believe it if you want. But it sounds pretty plausible. Littlefinger never lies. She so had motive and everything. I mean, she, you know, remember that session where she grilled Sansa about, you know, what's Joffrey like? How has he treated you? All that stuff. Yeah, it's um, a great scene. I, I maybe wonder if that was her, like, deciding whether she was going to go through with it. Like, do I really need to kill Joffrey? Yeah. Or is he going to be okay enough for, like, Marjorie to marry and then we can still control him through Marjorie. Also a little yes. bit of vetting of Sansa. Can she take the stress of being in this role uh, sure. of, 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 of participating? Mm-hmm. Because we, well, one of the things we talked about was just that they don't, they don't, the Tyrells don't have a whole lot of risk in this plot until the very moment somebody takes the amethyst from the hairnet until that right. point, they're kind of, they're riskless. And uh, so it's kind of vetting that whole scene out and planning it. Mm. Yeah. And then you have to wonder if, you know, they really meant what they're saying about marrying Sansa to Willis and stuff. I don't know. Maybe that's better served talking about that. Later. We're reading uh, a sauce. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so. That sounded like a good deal, too. I yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. She was She was even down with it. Yeah. Can't wait to talk doesn't about matter. That. Totally cool about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, finishing up these chapters got me all, got me all excited about the next book. I know. 
We're taking a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might read A Storm of Swords during the break, guys. No. <laughs> I almost started it the other night. Just to get into it. All right. Well, uh, anything else that you guys want to cover? Devils well, After Dark? Pat down, Jesse, our friend, did want to know about the dragon over Winterfell. The apparent dragon oh, yeah, over Winterfell. Yeah, the worm with wings. Yeah. So, what does he say? Um, do you remember the exact quote? But it's an awful lot like a dragon. Yeah. Uh, someone vamp while I'm finding it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It could have been smoke. Um, I, I well, it's it was seen by the wolves, right? Yeah. So it's so, so the wolves note it as a as a snake, I think. Right. I think I think Walt, Summer doesn't doesn't he say it looks like a snake? But it kind of sounds like a dragon. Got it right here. Okay. The smoke and ash clou- the smoke and ash clouded his eyes, and in the sky he saw a great winged snake whose roar was a river of flame. Yeah. He bared his teeth, but then the snake was gone. So could it have been just like a big fire cloud or something? I don't know. Yeah. There's uh could yeah. Could be that could it be anything. Dragon is yeah, feels unlikely. It just feels so out of context, right? Yeah. You mean that it was actually a dragon as a symbol for George to use, or what do you mean that it seems unlikely? That it was an actual dragon. Yeah. Oh. In the north. Oh no! I think that isn't it clear that it's like smoke. <laughs> no, uh, I don't think so. Well, Winterfell's burning. The, the chapter starts with snow of ashes. I mean, I think we can deduce that. So, so no, I, I don't did think it's a real dragon, but okay. I think it. I've got a, a, something that's pretty tinfoily about it. Go that there it. might have been a dragon under Winterfell. Yeah, I read some stuff about that too. Oh, is there stuff out there? I yeah, there's got to be right. And the well, fire hatched the egg, like the fire did for dead well, dragons. Here's the, the fire thing strikes me, and the destruction of the interior of Winterfell strikes me. Could, I mean, like the whole first keep, this thing that stand for however long Winterfell's been around, is suddenly destroyed. I mean, could uh, men cause that kind of damage to that extent? Like, and that amount of fire and burning that went on. Could men have actually done that? Yeah, I thought, I thought the same thing when you were giving your chapter summary. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like... This is stone. Like we've heard about, uh, they're very pointed when they're talking about Harrenhal and how uh, it took a dragon to burn it and have those kind of jagged features of Harrenhal and yes. everything. Yeah. And that it doesn't. The stone doesn't really burn normally. Like you can burn mm-hmm. it out and burn the things inside. But what what would the the relatively small crew of Ramsay Dreadfortmen have to gain by like taking it apart brick by brick? Yeah, it's very and odd. I thought, you know. The first keep collapses, and it's the oldest thing in Winterfell. But if the dragon was under that, was under the first keep, and then him exiting and going up into the sky was what made it kind of collapse and everything. I don't know. I, there's nothing. It's it's tinfoily. There's, there's very little evidence that would say that, but it's kind of fun to think about. Um, it is. There's something just, in the in the world of ice and fire that sa- that yeah. hints that somebody left a clutch of dragon eggs uh, underneath. That's what I was just phone. about to say. But I don't remember uh, the, the details. The quote is, 
We can dismiss Mushroom's claim in his testimony that the dragon Vermax left a clutch of eggs somewhere in the depths of Winterfell's crypts, where the waters of the hot springs run close to the walls. So it's kind of like a throw in there that the maester who's writing the world of ice and fire is like dismissing, but you know, George is sticking something in there and he's, is he just doing it just for funsies, just to troll or is he sticking it in there? Cause it's a clue for George us. or Elio and Linda. True. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but then, and maybe this is just pure coincidence, but just like a two pages later, when they exit the crypts, Osha says the following, um, she says, when they come out of the things and Hodor's just finished like pushing on the door and saying, Hodor, 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 Hodor. She says, we've made noise enough to wake a dragon. <laughs> mm, good catch. Interesting phrasing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, so if this dragon does exist, where is it now? Exactly. It flew away. Now it's just gone. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? I agree. Yeah, I mean, it could be a, it could be a metaphor also. There's a there's a theory I read on Reddit uh, today. Actually, uh, I believe it was Guy Mock for Potato. Is that possible? I might be missing his name. We'll definitely link it. But uh, he talked about how you know the first the, the the War of the Long Night or whatever when when the Great Other was defeated the first time, and then Bran the Builder built the wall to keep the others out, and also built Winterfell. Bran the Builder built both of those things as well as probably Storm's End. Um, that he actually built the crypts of Winterfell as a defense mm-hmm. f- against the Great Other Rising, like he's trapped underneath it somehow, um, that, and that, that the there must be a Stark in Winterfell actually refers to the kings of old being there as a defense, and not sure whether, I, I not in his theory, but my own, I'm not sure whether that means there must be a living Stark there, or the crypts must always be there to keep the spirits from going, uh, there's he's he's got all other sorts of other stuff in his theory too, but um, yeah, interesting stuff about what's really what's really under there in those crypts and um, yeah. Oh. I think the crypts definitely play some sort of part. They have to. They have to. You'd think so. It's a. I mean, you you read all about these uh, other castles and stuff, and none of them have this sort of this sort of thing going. A crypt for mm-hmm. all your your line. I mean. King's Landing has their black cells, which sound like a very complicated and huge network of of jail systems down there. It doesn't sound nearly as as uh, deep as the crypts. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm intrigued by that theory. I want to follow up on it a little bit more. Like I said, there's there's certainly not a lot of evidence, but there is some fun stuff to kind of consider. I'm really excited for the next book. I'm really just not as interested with like all these desert slave wars as I am with stuff happening at the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Danny stuff mm, it's just, isn't, you know what, isn't it's, as interesting to me either. It's just gotten to be too much. There's too many factions, too much, too many characters that don't get Yuk-naz, the... Yuk-naz, Yeah, the, the fleshed out time that we have with the other characters in Westeros. Sure. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, there's there's a lot of things to tie together. That's why some people don't think he's going to be able to do it in two more books. But uh, yeah, I, I'm 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 way more interested in the wall and Bran's role, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. 
who's yeah who's going to be fighting the darkness <laughs> what the darkness actually is i mean i'm still not even entirely convinced that the others are the bad people <laughs> right like there's, there's whoa just, well there's just there's two sides there's two stories to every side right or there's two sides to every story and mm-hmm. i mean they seem cruel to everyone they come in contact with but they were also locked in an ice world above, you know, like by the, this magical wall. I don't know. I, I'm I'm just very interested to see how this world all comes together. They've been cast out of their own land, right? Yeah, right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the overarching belief is that there's two factions. There's the Lord of Light, yep, and then there's the others, and right? The, the great others, the great other, yeah. The great other specifically. That's the, the God and Satan of these books, if it, as it were. And, uh, you know, figuring out, we just seem to believe that because that's the lore. But that's exactly what it is, is lore. What if yeah. it's not even true? You know, what if there's other parts to this that just haven't even been revealed or knowledge that's been lost? And, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this reread to be able to dig into that more because it's something that I honestly have kind of just accepted up until this point. Yeah. But one thing this reread has taught me is to not really accept anything at face value. Yeah, it's been a fun reread for sure. I'm so happy yeah. we're doing it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I got I got a lot out of the first the first uh, uh, reread, but you get so much more out of talking to talking to your friends about it. You know, and bouncing ideas and knowing that you're going to have to come with ideas makes you think through them. And man, it's yeah, so fun. Just knowing that I'm going up against you two is like, I got to be prepped because these two will rip me to shreds if I don't. <laughs> Thanks for being so prepared. Like Itiots. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, good episode, guys. I think, uh, Dandy. I think it's time to say goodnight. Well, say goodnight to a cock. Mm-hmm. Putting the cock away. Yeah. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us. This is Brooke signing out, saying, "Hey, sometimes not getting married is not such a bad thing." That's it. <laughs> Sounds well, great. Uh, this is Matt, and in honor of finishing a cock, and in honor of Force Friday for Star Wars. Uh, I'm going to sign off using my favorite Star Wars innuendo quote of all time. Wedge, pull out. You're not doing any good back there. (laughs) And stacking on top of that, this is Scad signing off saying, probably felt pretty good for Wedge. Good night. Nighty night. Oh, and Brooke, I wanted to tell you just really quick. Did you hear the latest uh, Salt Lake Comic Con announcement? Wait, I didn't. You of the Captain America lovingness? What is it? Bucky. They got Bucky. Oh, wow. Sebastian Stan? Sebastian Stan. Yes. Uh, With Chris Evans. Dude, uh, I I love that you know Sebastian Stan, but he can come up with his name, but everybody else is Hooser Tits. (laughs) Oh my god, are you serious? I am dead serious. Oh my god, there it is! 
Oh, I'm on their website right now. Oh, second billing. Yep. Yeah, they got a Paramount. Evansy. Oh, if you they guys can... are so good as Bucky and the Winter Soldier. He's good. Yeah. You guys, Sebastian Stan. Oh. But you know what? I wouldn't even know what to do if, like, I did buy a ticket to get a photo or a signature. I'd be like, no thanks. I just want to stare at you from afar. <laughs> you wouldn't have time to anyways. It'd be like be... three seconds. You walk yeah. up, smile, was... take the picture. I don't want to Done. know what he smells like because then I'll know what he smells like and I'll have to think about it. Oh, but what if it's good? What if he smells Oh, good? I know it's good. <laughs> and what if he's problem. What if he's just like kind and charming and he's just like everything you ever dreamed of him being what if he was Brooke? i think i think brooke just got aroused you gotta be careful matt did you just get a boner brooke oh i'm just crying (laughs) (laughs) crying (laughs) oh anyways Uh, i am sick uh i don't know if you guys can tell you sound extra sexy it sounds sexy. Yeah. Good, good. That's a nice. Yes. That's a nice change. Mm-hmm. Uh, Are you butt sick too? <laughs> no, no. I don't. I don't get that. I don't. I don't know where this comes from. From you, I don't get it. I, I don't have it. I don't need it. I don't <laughs> want all, it. It's all mental. He represses it. So it <laughs> my my bowels are just this unique, wonderful tool. <laughs> they're they're. Uh, your body is a wonderland, Matt. Oh, if you will. <laughs> Um, I'm okay. I just, yeah, it came, it came kind of in the last day. So I didn't, that's, that's how mine was. It came really fast. That's what she said. And then it like, it, then it was gone. So after a day or two. <laughs> All right. I'm so excited about the song. So good. Oh my gosh. We'll have to edit this out, but I, I, you saw my email. I was singing it all morning when you sent it. I was like the whole you look at a lion, that dude. That's a winner. Yep. Thank edit, you. Edit all this out. Yeah. I'm pretty sick of it right now. But I believe. I'm also pleased. I believe that. How many times have you recorded it? Uh, well, just it was just a huge process. It was took a. It was a lot harder than I thought. Huh. You know, Matt, land down all the tracks, and uh, it was. Uh, it's got. It's it's mixed down to two guitar parts, but really. That's me, the different guitar throughout the song. There's probably about six passes Whoa. of me playing guitars at different parts, and then I just kind of mixed it all to one track. But um, And so I've listened to that song through way too many times. <laughs> if, it's any, if it's any consolation, Matt, I heard Cisco also got really tired of the thong song, and that was a huge hit. So you might have something. Oh, I might be onto something there. <laughs> if I can achieve half the success... A, a fifth of the success. One one hundredth <laughs> of a legend like Cisco. So oh, my cat got into my water. So I'm just gonna Gross. go. Is that is that a metaphor? No. I have like Do a you... mug of water sitting beside me and Mason like face fully in the mug. Your <laughs> cat okay. I didn't realize your cat was named Mason. Yeah, the older the older kid at school that my son Pippin always races is uh, named Mason, and he always loses because the kid's older, and he's like really angry about it. Mason, <laughs> Mason always uh, wonder wins. where he gets that from his passionate mother because I am very even keeled. <laughs>
<laughs> Rookie, uh, if you need to go refill your mug. Uh, I think I better. I would like to also, okay. actually. So Okay. Good. Meet you back here Break. in five. five. I'll just sip my seconds. I'm packed and I'm holding. I'm smiling. She living. She go there and she lives for me. Said she lives for me ovation. Her own motivation. She comes round and she comes down to me. And I make a smile like a drug for you. Do ever what you want to do. Come right over you. Keep on smiling what you go through. One stop to the rhythm that divides you. And I speak to you like a course to the birth. Off under the line like a chorus with the curse. Like a big show taking the stage. We're giving the game she plays. She say, I want something else to get me through this. Send me your kind of life. Baby, baby. I want something else. It's interlude music. All right. Not listening when you say good. Back. All right. Excellent. All right. Okay.